0: Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Acts chapter 9. Feels odd not to send you to Genesis. We're in Acts chapter 9 this morning. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome the venue service meeting right down the hall and also Reach Church DeSoto. So grateful for Reach Church and The work that God is doing there, and Pastor Ryan and Pastor Josh, so grateful for them. There was a man born in an obscure Jewish village. The child of a peasant woman, he grew up in another obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30, and then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher He never held office, never went to college, never owned a home, never set foot in a big city, never traveled more than 200 miles from where he grew up, never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. Yet while still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away and he was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial, and his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he owned, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and placed in a borrowed grave. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he still remains the centerpiece of the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that have ever met, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the whole of man on earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. Over the next five weeks, we are going to look specifically at the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and how this one man has changed the world. But more than this, we are going to see how this one man, Jesus Christ, changes everyone who has a personal encounter with him. This morning, we're going to focus in on Saul, better known to us as Paul. One commentator has said that the second greatest apologetic for Christianity is the conversion of Saul. The first apologetic being the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the second being the conversion of this man who was God's greatest earthly opponent. And God converting him to his greatest evangelist. This is the power of the gospel. Let's pray together, then we'll look at this text. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. And God, I pray right now that you would help us, Lord, to focus in on your word. I pray that, Lord, to th- this morning we would hear your voice. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in all of our lives to draw our attention to you. And God, I pray if there's any individual watching in the venue service, watching in DeSoto, watching online or right here in this room, God, I pray if there's any individual that doesn't know you, that today they would have a personal encounter with Christ and they would be born again. Lord, speak to us today. May your word and may the gospel go forth in power. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Look with me at verses one and two. It says there, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Obviously, we're just kind of jumping in here to the book of Acts. There's much about Saul that we need to know, but here is the point that I want you to see as we talk about Saul, and that's this, that he is the most unlikely candidate for conversion to Christ. He grew up in a city called Tarsus, a city of sophistication, education, and learning, it uh there in tarsus the second largest library in the world at that time second only to the library of alexandria and there he grew up and it's obvious that he was even at a young age advanced in his intellect and his knowledge and he was sent to Jerusalem to a kind of boarding school to further his education in Judaism. And he studied under Gamaliel. Gamaliel is the, the teacher of the teachers. He was the voice of the Sanhedrin. You remember he's the guy in Acts chapter 5 who when they're talking about uh, Christianity said, listen, if it's of God, you're not going to stop it. You better get out of the way. But if it's not of God, it'll fade out. He, he was the voice of the Sanhedrin. He was the best of the best. And And there Saul grew up underneath his teaching, and he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees, during the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, this was the group that made sure that the nation of Israel, while they were under the rule of the Romans and the Greeks, the Pharisees were the ones who made sure that the nation of Israel stayed true to the law. They were the patriots of the nation. They were the Navy SEALs of Israel. They were viewed in a positive light. Not until much later will they be viewed in a negative light. If your daughter brought home a Pharisee, you were proud. And he wasn't just a Pharisee. He becomes a hit man for Christianity. He is out to destroy Christianity. His life's mission, Christianity was an affront to Judaism. It was seen as drawing the people of God away from the law of God, away from the ceremonial law of God. And and Saul's goal becomes to stamp out this opponent of Judaism. They viewed Christianity as the enemy. And apparently he's found out that some of these Christians that are being persecuted in Jerusalem, they fled to a city called Damascus. And he decides, I got to eradicate this cancer of Christianity, even if it causes me to travel 136 miles north, a six day journey. I'll go because we have to eliminate Christianity at all costs. And I'm going to find whoever, doesn't matter if it's men or women, I'll bind them and arrest them if need be, I'll kill them. See also Stephen. But his life's mission is to eradicate Christianity. Now he's secured papers. He's duly authorized to go to Damascus and eliminate Christianity. But here's the picture. This is not a man who's interested in becoming a Christian. His goal is to eliminate Christianity. He's not neutral when it comes to Christ. He is an enemy. He is the most unlikely candidate to convert to Christianity. One person said this is a practical joke on hell that God would take the greatest opponent to Christianity and, in one encounter, would make him the greatest evangelist for Christianity. This is God's way of saying, na na, a boo boo. <laughs> and the point here is that God saves who he wants to save. And no one is beyond his reach. Some of you, you've said of an individual in your life, that person will never become a Christian. Some of you are saying of yourself this morning, I'll never become a Christian. Those same words probably would have been breathed from Saul's mouth as he headed off to Damascus that morning. And guess what he's going to find out? God saves who he wants to save. And no one is beyond his reach. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of God. So, watch this. Look at verses three through six. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. And again, we see that that Saul, as he set out that morning from Jerusalem to Damascus, out the northern gate of Jerusalem, he wasn't setting out that morning to find Jesus. He didn't get up that day saying, boy, I sure would like to sit down with a Christian and, and really investigate the claims of Christ. No, he's on his way to arrest and imprison Christians, to eliminate Christianity. And what you're seeing here is that when it comes to Saul's salvation, Saul does not take the initiative. That what we see here is that salvation is all God's work. Saul did not set out to find Christ because Christ wasn't lost. Christ set out to find Saul because Saul was lost. And that's the way it is in all of our salvations, that Paul has a divine encounter with Christ. He sees this bright light from heaven, something far greater than the sun. And, and remember, there's so many aspects of this that we could dive into, it, but I want to be concise this morning. And here's the point, the bright light and all those things. The point is this. He met Jesus he is going to have a personal encounter with Christ. And not, not just the incarnate Christ. I believe he sees Christ in all of his glory. You remember when Paul was talking in 1 Corinthians 15 about the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. He says, and he appeared to me last of all as one untimely born. Paul sees Christ. And Christ speaks to Paul. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul quickly realizes, number one, that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And not only is Jesus alive, he knows my name. He knows who I am. He knows everything about me. You talk about a frightening thought. This guy that I thought was dead is alive And he knows who I am. Not only does he know who I am, but Christ speaks to him directly and lets Saul know that Jesus is not happy with him. He says, Saul, Saul, a clear sign of rebuke. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which, by the way, side point here, when you persecute Christians, you're really messing with Jesus. You lay your hands on a Christian for their faith in Christ, you're really messing with Christ. But he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Christ loves Saul. Christ is going to save Saul. But in Saul's sin, he stands in a place of rejection. He stands in a place of condemnation. And I think right here that Saul begins to realize, I have opposed and rejected the one who is the only hope of my salvation that I have rejected the Messiah. I've rejected the one that all the Old Testament law and all the Old Testament prophets and the patriarchs pointed me to. I've rejected and blasphemed the one we've been waiting on since the Garden of Eden. And even more than that, I begin, I think that this Saul begins to realize that to some extent at least, I'm personally responsible for placing the nails in his hands and his feet he begins to understand the personal nature of his sin what in the world have i done saul realizes i've messed up big time i think in the hebrew it would say "Uh uh-oh i'm in trouble here because see something saul understood clearly in the old testament you don't lay your hands on god's man you do not lay your hands on God's anointing. You remember in Kings when, when uh, one of the, uh, the, the kings of Israel sent to have Elijah arrested because he didn't like his prophecies. And so he's going to have Elijah arrested. They sent a detachment of soldiers to arrest him. And uh, they say, oh man of God, come down from your hill. And Elijah says, if I am a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. And guess what happens? Fire comes down and consumes them. They send another detachment of soldiers. Oh man of God, come down from your hill. Elijah says, if I am a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. Fire comes down and them. They send a third detachment of soldiers. They say, Elijah, please, we're not trying to offend you. Would you mind politely coming down? But the point is this. You don't mess with God's man. You don't lay hands on God's man. And Saul is beginning to realize he's messed with the wrong person. I believe Saul begins to realize, I should die. I think he believes he is about to die because the wages of sin is death, and he stands, and now he is on his face in a place of condemnation. And listen, if God left it that way, that would be completely just. God wouldn't have to answer to anyone if he took Saul out right at that moment. But do you see what God has done here? (laughs) He's taken an individual who's incredibly arrogant, incredibly prideful, a religious man, and in a matter of milliseconds, he has humbled him in the light of Christ's glory and in the light of the depth of his own sin. Can God still do that today? Can if God, if God wants to, can he take an individual who's prideful, arrogant, moral, and religious, and in a matter, I don't know how long it takes a person to fall from a donkey to the ground, but that's how long it took God. To bring Saul to a place of humble submission beneath the weight of his glory and the depth of his own sin. And what does Saul do? Saul asks the most important question a person can ever ask. He says, who are you, Lord? Most important question that will ever confront you in a life, a question that you've got to deal with at some point, who is this man who physically lived, physically died, was physically placed in a tomb, was raised on the third day, and we can't find his body? Who is this heavenly being that died on a cross for my sins? And what you're seeing right here, this is the most educated Jew to ever walk the face of the earth. This is the brightest of the bright. And when it comes to the point of having an encounter with Christ, he doesn't have a clue. Yeah, I, As I was reading this, you know, uh, I love... And those Christmas movies, It's a Wonderful Life, I always love, I also love A Christmas Carol. And you remember he has that, that night and he gets to see what the future holds. But then he wakes up the next morning in the original. you got go to go the original, the original Christmas Carol. He wakes up and you know what he says? He's happy because what does he say? He says, I, I know that I don't know. I know that I don't know anymore. He's been humbled. Here is Saul, this guy who's prideful and arrogant and probably had an answer to everybody's question. You know what he realizes right now? I don't even know who you are. And guess what? God is gonna have to do? God's gonna have to teach him, but God can't teach him till he's humbled him. Powerful picture here. God initiates conversion with Saul, God reveals himself to Saul, God humbles Saul, and now Christ is gonna lead him. By the hand. And what does Christ do to him? He says, get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Three critical, very quickly, three critical aspects of salvation. One that we see here is repentance. Repentance, you've heard me use this term before. It just means to change direction. And right here you're seeing a change in Saul's life, a complete 180. I mean, we see the light and the, the folly to the ground. Those are external things. But the real issue is occurring internally. There's an inward change that's occurring in Saul's life. He's changing how he thinks about Christ. I mean, Saul is turning from rebellion towards Christ, and now he's submissive to Christ. He's gone from being a rebel and an enemy to an obedient servant. He set out that morning with all these amazing plans. He's going to Damascus to deliver it from Christ and any Christian witness. And now he's blinded, humbled, and led like a helpless child to find out what Christ wants him to do. Folks, that's what you call biblical repentance. That all your proud and your self-centered defiance comes to an end and you cast yourself in humble submission to the Lord and his son Jesus. That's repentance. Not only repentance, but guess what else you see here? You see a resurrection. What does Jesus say to Saul? He says, in my translation, he says, get up. Your your translation might say, arise. But it comes from the same root word that is often used for resurrection. And that's exactly what's occurring here. Saul has an encounter with the resurrected Christ, which always leads to a personal resurrection. See, Saul was dead in his transgressions and sins, as he says in Ephesians chapter 2. But Christ has made him alive through faith. That right here, Saul is born again. There's no other explanation for what occurs here. You see, biblical uh, conversion is not merely a turning over of a new leaf. It's not just a commitment. It's not joining a church. It's not even simply receiving Jesus into your heart. True conversion is a resurrection experience. That the same power of God that raised Christ from the dead works in your heart to move you from a place of spiritual deadness to a place of spiritual life by means of faith in Jesus Christ. See, Saul didn't need a debate. Saul didn't need science. Saul didn't need an education, and he didn't need a self-help book. He needed a personal encounter with Christ and a resurrection of his soul. Not only did he have repentance and resurrection, but repentance and resurrection always lead to a new relationship. And primarily, he has a new relationship with God. You see, if you move forward in Saul's life, there's so much here I wish we could see, but you move forward in Saul's life, and the one defining mark of Saul's life is that he now becomes a man of prayer. In fact, when, when God tells Ananias in, in verse 11 to go uh, to see Saul, he says in verse 11, And the Lord said to him, he's speaking to Ananias, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. You know what God tells you? He tells tells Ananias, the, the, the defining mark that he truly knows me, that he's truly been converted, is that now he is praying. And that doesn't mean that Saul never prayed before, but he never prayed like this. For the Jew, getting to God was a complicated process by which you had to go through all these steps. And now Saul finds himself in a place where he is physically blind. And there, he's left to look inside his soul. And for three days, he prays. I've often wondered, what did did Saul pray Boy, I bet he was burdened by his guilt. I bet he was pleading with God for forgiveness. I think he thought he was going to die. But he prays. And the mark of a Christian, of a person who's truly been converted, is that they can't help but talk with God. You can't have a relationship without communication. All of you know this. I tell couples in premarital counseling... The oil of your relationship, like oil to an engine, is communication. If without communication, you got no relationship. And it is true in our walk with God that if we know God, we'll have conversation with him because we have direct access to God. You know, as I was watching some college football this weekend, I was reminded of the story of of the quarterback who's in the locker room, and he's ticked off because he's not playing. He's mad, and this little kid's in front of him swigging a Coke, and, he says, why are you so upset? The quarterback says, because the coach won't play me. Ain't get no playing time. Little boy says, well, why don't you go talk to the coach? You can't even get to the coach. Coach wouldn't listen to me if I got to him. Little boy says, follow me. Little boy starts walking off. The quarterback thinks, well, i ain't got nothing to lose. I might as well follow him. He follows this little boy. Boy goes in the athletic department office, walks right past the receptionist, goes right past the receptionist, Goes right past all the other offices. Nobody even stops him. This little boy just walks right past all of them. Goes to the head coach's office. Walks past the head coach's receptions. Goes right into the head coach's personal office. Walks up to the head coach and says, Dad, why won't you play this guy? (laughs) See, this is why we don't pray to Mary. We don't pray through anybody else. We got direct access because we're children of the Father. Paul had prayed, but not like this. And it marked his life. You know, in all of his letters you know, to the churches, he never said, I preached to you, but he always said, I prayed for you. He has a new relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not only a new relationship with God, he has a new relationship to the church. You know what's so interesting about this? When when, um, when God sends He directs Paul. He doesn't direct him back to Jerusalem. He doesn't direct him to some rabbi. Where does he send him? Where does God send Saul to receive discipleship and growth? He sends him to the church. He's going to ultimately send him to Ananias, who was the leader of the church in Damascus. And it's under Ananias' teaching and ultimately under Barnabas' teaching within the church that Paul will be discipled. And he will grow into the man who will write the majority of the New Testament. But it occurs within the context of the church. And I just tell you this morning? The Bible knows nothing of a Christian that is not connected to the church. You read through the book of Acts. God never saves a person doesn't connect them to the body of Christ. You can't have Jesus and not have the body of Christ, the church. It's unbiblical. But you know what else? <laughs> It's not just that he's connected to the church. In fact, I think the most powerful part of this, look down in verse 17. It says, so Ananias, this is interesting. God tells Ananias, you got to go meet with Saul. (laughs) You know, what's interesting. Ananias starts giving God information on Saul as if he doesn't know. You ever do that in your prayers? God, this is Chad. I live over on Sunray Drive, just in case you don't know. Like God's some kind of operator that I got to help him out and get him where he needs to go. But anyway, maybe that's just me. But here's, he's directing Ananias to go. And Ananias goes over there. And in verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And listen, Saul is, is blind. He's sitting in this room. I think Saul thinks he's going to die. These people are going to kill me. And what does Ananias do? Saul thinks he's lost everything. If he doesn't die, I've lost my family. I've lost everything. Every all my friends, I, I can't go back. And Ananias comes over to Saul and puts his hands on his shoulders and says, Brother Saul. You don't think that was a powerful moment for Saul? That I just got a new family. I got new brothers and sisters. And I'm forgiven. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it changes your relationship to God and it gives you a new family called the church. And not only that, but finally, it changes his relationship to the world. You don't even get, Saul doesn't even get days into his conversion. And by the way, he will be converted and he'll start sharing the gospel. He didn't take evangelism training, he just started telling people about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But he can't help it. Listen, when you come to know Jesus Christ, you can't help but tell people about him. You couldn't shut Saul up. They kept telling him, you're going to die. I don't care. And he's sharing the gospel, and he gets days into the conversion, days into his walk with God through faith in Christ, and guess what he's going to experience? Persecution. You know what he's going to find out? He's going to find out to become a friend of Christ is to become an enemy with the world. Amen. Listen to me this morning. We need to do a better job of this. We live within this little blip of human history and salvation history where we, we talk about terms like religious liberty. Can I just tell you this morning? That is an anomaly. That's the exception for the whole of Christianity. Heath and Amber were up here this morning. You'll notice they didn't tell you where they're at. Because they're preaching the gospel in a place where you can be imprisoned and there are people losing their life today because they're trusting in Christ. And for the whole of Christianity, in fact, 45 times in the New Testament, it tells you to prepare for persecution. That we ought to expect it. Quite frankly, if we're not getting some pushback, we're probably not doing it right. It could be because we've gone incognito and we're not telling anybody about Jesus. You know, John Wesley, one time, he's traveling from city to city and he hadn't been persecuted for a few days. He got off his donkey, got on his knees and said, Lord, I'm afraid you've taken your hand off me because I've not faced any persecution for a while. And so I want to know you're still with me. Would you bring some persecution? A guy came over the hill and started throwing rocks at him. He said, thank you, Jesus. Now I know you're with him. I don't know if that story is true, but It's biblical. But the idea is this, folks. You better get ready. We better strengthen some of our spiritual muscles because we're about to face persecution like we've never faced it before. But I'm here to tell you it might just be that God uses that persecution. Listen, there's a spiritual law. We call it the spiritual law of thermodynamics in Christianity. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion. The more you put Christians under the heat, guess what God does? The more he moves. I believe we might just be getting ready to see the greatest movement of Christianity here in the United States that we've ever seen before. That's called the power of God. But we better get ready because the means by which God might bring about that revival just might be the persecution of the church. But we ought to expect it. And it's okay. Why? Why is it okay? What did Jesus tell us? Because our citizenship is not here. We're not trying to make this heaven. I don't know about you. I like Lenex and Olathe, but I don't want to live here for eternity. Goodness sakes, I don't want to live here for eternity. I want to go home. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who one day is going to transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. Amen? So bring on the persecution. And you can't shut us up. We'll keep preaching the gospel. That's what the gospel does. It changes us from the inside out. That's Saul's story. And and, and there's some unique aspects to Saul's story that are unique only to him, but the principles are the same for all of us this morning. Anybody that knows Christ, the principles are the same because all of us prior to faith in Christ, we're not neutral. There's no spiritual Switzerland when it comes to Jesus. You're either a friend or an enemy, there's no sitting on the fence. And prior to faith in Christ, we're all enemies of Christ. In fact, do you know how the Bible describes all those who are outside of faith in Christ? Evil, dead, blind, deaf, lost, rebellious, desperately wicked, objects of wrath, and children of the devil. How about that? And you say, Pastor, I wasn't that bad. You know, the highest place on planet Earth, Mount Everest, 29,000 feet above sea level. The lowest place on Earth, the Philippine Trench, 35,000 feet below sea level. But guess what? From the moon, they both look the same. Some of y'all in here are Everest sinners. (laughs) Some of y'all are Philippine Trench sinners. But from God's perspective, we're all in the same boat. We're all dead spiritually and without hope of salvation. And if we know Christ, it's because we had a personal encounter with Jesus. It may look a little different for all of us. But at some point or another, if we know Christ, it's because we had a personal encounter with Christ. And you can recall it when God spoke into your heart. Maybe it was through a friend who shared the gospel. It may have been as I did a funeral for Laura Peterson this weekend. She was ironing, listening to back to the Bible. And she was praying for a baby. And you know what she realized? My greatest need is not a baby. My greatest need is salvation. And God spoke to her, and she trusted in Christ. I don't know how it happened in your life, but it's because you had a personal encounter with Jesus. You know what you realize? I'm a sinner, and he's my only need of salvation. You didn't initiate it. You weren't seeking him, but he sought you. And you humbled yourself, and you repented of your sins. You trusted in him, and you were going a new direction. That's true of all of us. True assault. I want you to hear a testimony, a real-life testimony that has occurred uh, right here today not today today but in our time story of glenn luke watch this video glenn's testimony
1: so i grew up in a home that valued faith and um we pretty inconsistently went to church and i really don't think i was ever clearly exposed to the gospel and so growing up i had this respect for god um, but i really didn't know what it meant to to follow christ what that really meant Um, so i go to high school and kind of get involved in the party lifestyle, and that's kind of my path. I followed that into college, and when I got to college, I joined a fraternity, uh, Lambda Chi Alpha, and uh, this is the last place I ever expected to to meet God, but uh, once I joined, um, I met this guy named Hunter, and Hunter began to um, share the gospel with me. Well, what I learned was Hunter was basically the only believer out of 120 guys in this fraternity. And every single week um, he would uh, take me out to eat, you know, we would study together, work out together, we would do everything together. Um, But what he did really well was he just loved me very well. And uh, he began to share the gospel. And every single week he'd ask me the same question, Glenn, are you ready to follow Christ today? And uh, up until this point, I was pretty lost, and I was pretty broken, and I was searching for for different things, whether that was success or reputation. Um, And then Hunter comes into the picture and begins sharing the gospel with me, and um, things begin to change. Yeah, so after I came to faith, um, it was a a slow process, um, but I slowly began to see God changing my life in different aspects, whether that was with um, how I treat my family, or um, not cheating on tests anymore, or uh, you know, working with excellence in all things. I saw God begin to transform my life in these, these different areas. But I think one of the most important areas was um, I wanted to do what Hunter did for me, and I wanted to share my faith with other people. And so I began to learn how to share my faith, um, and it was a hard process at first you know, walking up to that person and asking them spiritual questions was really intimidating. But, uh, you know, Hunter guided me through it and he helped helped me grow in this aspect, in this area. One of the biggest things I've learned since coming to faith is um, that it's not just an inward thing that we keep to ourselves, but it has to be outward. It has to be others focused. And I've really found um, a lot of joy and fulfillment when I've been others focused with my faith. You know, if the realities of eternity are true, there is a heaven, there's a hell, then us as Christians, we have a huge responsibility to share this gospel with um, as many people as we can. Um, I can tell you with certainty that uh, Christ has been the most fulfilling aspect of my life. And um, I'm so thankful for him. and how faithful he is, and the character that he's shown me, and the love that he's shown me. And I just want other people to experience that. And uh, I can guarantee you there is no, nothing more satisfying than knowing Christ. Amen. Amen. Did you hear that,
0: though? I, I hope you got that. Powerful. guy named Hunter. If you go back further, there was a guy who shared the gospel with Hunter, and Hunter had a personal encounter with Christ, and God changed him, and then he sought to live as a light for Christ. He started living as a missionary, and he started talking to a guy named Glenn, and Glenn had a personal encounter with Christ. You you think about Saul. God moves in his life and then he begins to share share the gospel. Listen, we're not here this morning if God doesn't convert Saul. Do you understand that today? This is how this works. And I think there's a chance that God might be moving in one of your hearts this morning. That you might just be having a personal encounter with Christ right now. Whether you're watching in DeSoto, the venue, online, or right here in this room. Maybe God is speaking into your heart right now. And you know that you're a sinner. You know that I think everybody in this world knows that they are broken. All of us are infected with sin. that came from Adam and Eve in the garden. We're sinners. We're broken. And just like Glenn, we're searching for a solution to our brokenness. And all those solutions that we look for in the world, guess what? They always lead us back to a place of brokenness. Because God's only provided one solution. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. He's done all the work. He did all the heavy lifting. He lived the life you couldn't, died the death you should have, placed your sins on his shoulders. He died for you. He rose from the grave and now he's provided the free gift of salvation by means of Faith, for, great, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That today, if God is moving in your heart, I challenge you, trust in Jesus. Submit your life to him. There's freedom in surrender. And change the direction of your life. He didn't come just to provide you with eternal life. He came to give you life now. Listen to me. There's no more. You heard it from Glenn. There's no more fulfilled and satisfying life in this world than living for Jesus. What's holding you back? What I want to do right now, I just want everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads. If you're at DeSoto, do the same. If you're in the venue, do the same right now. Wherever you are, if you're online just right now, if you would close your eyes and bow your head. I rarely do this, but I I wanted to do this this morning because I believe there's somebody here that God's working in their heart, and I want to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer, there's nothing magical about these words. It's about the attitude of your heart. God sees what nobody else can see, He sees your heart. But if the desire of your heart today is to know Jesus, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Would Would you just pray this with me this morning? Father, I know that I am a sinner. You see all my sin, past, present, and future. And I'm tired of looking for solutions in this world. And today I'm realizing you're my only hope. And so today I want to trust in Jesus for salvation. I want to be reborn through faith. I desire to change the direction of my life. So I submit to you this this morning. I trust in you and you alone. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.